Shabbat Shalom. I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate our B'nai Mitzvah students. I hope that um, this day tomorrow will stand out in your memory as a keystone of your lives. I'd like to say also special congratulations to the Judge family. Uh, as it turns out, I've known them for over 40 years. I was the rabbi in Stamford, Connecticut for 16 years, and they're members of Temple Sinai, that community, and it's so nice to renew a friendship. I feel a little bit like a cross between the Lone Ranger and Donald Duck. <laughs> June 12th, 2022 will mark the 50th anniversary of my ordination. On that solemn and joyous June day, my classmates and I marched down the long center aisle of Temple Emanuel of New York City to the grand organ strains of Jeremiah Clark's trumpet voluntary. Let me uh, set the tone for you for that day. On the pulpit, the president of the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion placed his hands on my shoulders for what's called smicha, the laying on of hands of ordination. But I only remember one thing that the president said during his two minute charge to me. He said, be careful, the steps are slippery. Through the years, I have recalled those words as I negotiated a career that occasionally found me on a variety of slippery slopes. After the ceremony, we exited onto Fifth Avenue and 68th Street to discover the annual Puerto Rican Day Parade with hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans marching down Fifth Avenue. And we continued down Fifth Avenue to the Hotel Pierre for lunch. I was tapped to speak to the celebrants, but what no one told me was that I would speak after Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. I don't remember what I said, but the sweat was pouring down my face, the first of many trials by fire, or what I refer to as learning on the job. So what has changed in the last 50 years? The world, first of all, the world of 1972 had a large number of still youthful Holocaust survivors who were reluctant to share their painful memories until they realized that if they did not bear witness to the Nazi atrocities, the remembrance of that demonic era would disappear and even be denied. 
With the passing now of that generation, the greatness of deep Eastern European learning and culture and Yiddishkeit has also evaporated. Two, the major religious movements, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox, no longer resonate, resonate as contemporary post-denominational Jews self-define themselves. A Pew study applies judgmental terms such as religious promiscuity, religious infidelity, swingers and switchers to the people who move with ease and without guilt from religious and communal institutions to other spiritual groupings in order to sample the religious beliefs and practices of those other than their own. I'll share some of the ways that Jews now self-define themselves. One, not very Jewish Jews, often called psychological Jews or post-religious Jews, are marginal Jews defined by ignorance of rites, rituals, and history with few, if any, passionate attachments or connections to the Jewish community. Two, no longer Jewish Jews have tossed their Judaism aside, unlikely to ever be drawn back into the fold. Three, suddenly Jewish Jews discover their hidden Jewish ancestry that results in a resurgence of Jewish participation. Stephen Dubna, for example, author of Turbulent Souls, a Catholic son's return to his Jewish family, grew up in a devoutly Catholic home where he said rosary every night. And he discovered his Jewish roots that brought him back to Judaism. Four, very Jewish Jews affiliate, support, and participate in synagogues and Jewish cultural and educational and social action programs and institutions. Five, we've always done it that way, Jews believe that their ritual practice and worship comprise tradition and that any deviation is met with disdain. Six, half Jewish Jews, the progeny of Jews married to non-Jews, attempt to blend two halves into a single hybrid that such consummate outsider insiders not be ashamed of their neitherness, referred to by one commentator as a dazzling act of existential virtuosity. Some years ago, a group of adult children of interfaith marriages formed a group called the Parvas, taking the dietary term for neither meat nor milk to describe the fine line they walk between two distinct religious traditions, neither embracing nor rejecting either. Half Jewish, half Southern Baptist actor and comedian, Jeff Kent, suggests that halvesies should be addressed by a 12-step program. Half Jewish, half Catholic comic, Bill Maher joked, I used to go into the confessional and I would bring a lawyer with me. In the confessional, I would begin by saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned and then add, I think you know Mr. Cohen over here. Seven, 
Broad spectrum Jews are LGBTQ reconstituted families and interracial groupings with special needs. They hope that congregations will be open and embracing, even though at times they may feel shunned by the establishment, congregation, and institutions. Eight, non-Jewish Jews are individuals, technically not Jewish, but in relationship with Jews where they promote Jewish households and children and are supported and participate in rituals, holiday, and life cycle events of family members. Nine, spiritual but not religious Jews is the mantra for Jews who avoid faith labels and are almost never found in the synagogues where they feel alienated or at a Passover Seder that they find to be insipid. The vast majority of spiritual but not religious Jews believes in God and more than half report that they pray daily. Spiritual but not religious Jews look for what Swiss psychologist Carl Jung termed synchronicity, meaningful coincidence, events so timely and moving that they are beyond mere chance. Or what theologian Rudolf Otto termed numinosity, the irresistible, undeniable, unforgettable feeling of being in the presence of the divine. 10, unconventional, hipster, unorthodox, or emergent Jews. They're young, fiercely independent, religious drifters who think it is cool to be Jewish, but find organized religious life to be increasingly irrelevant. 11, absent male Jews, disengaged, vanished, male teenagers and adult worshipers, learners, Torah students, and religious educators are driven away by what they term the feminization of religion. In Why Men Hate Going to Church, David Morrow suggests that churches are spiritual sorority houses. This especially is puzzling because in traditional male-dominated orthodox congregations, men continue to play important roles. 12, alimony Jews. These are Jews that are often the wealthiest members of a congregation. They support Judaism, but they're unwilling to live with it. They engage in so few Jewish practices at home that synagogues have become, in effect, homeless shelters homes for Jews without Jewish homes. They expect the synagogue to be a surrogate Jewish parent and the rabbi to be their Shabbos Jew, the one who does it all so they don't have to do anything. 13, excess baggage disaffected Jews, like Woody Allen, who when asked what his religion is, replied, Jewish, with an explanation. These explanations play out in synagogues in a variety of different scenarios as they unpack their baggage in board and committee meetings, in offices and schools and sanctuaries, often with a large dose of angst, anger, and at times self-hatred. Often referred to as nuns, people without religious practice and affiliation 
now comprise 25% of the U.S. population as church membership has dropped from 68% in the early 1990s to 45% at the present time. 20 years ago, Robert Putnam wrote Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. He pointed out that we are pulling away, we are pulling inward, away from neighborhoods and friendships, from family and faith communities, at the same time that technology is increasingly leading to social isolation and uncivil behavior. Putnam was prescient. He said, we have lost our social capital that helps people find jobs, solve problems, control crime, and foster a sense of well-being. Next, as a young rabbi, on every Shabbat morning, focusing again on the changes that I've seen over 50 years, I could rely on a significant number of regular worshipers, adults, students, seekers on Jewish journeys. Now the regulars are all gone, and what remains are bar and bat mitzvah families and their friends, who are often unfamiliar with the liturgy and are merely observers and not participants. However, one positive sign is robust Shabbat morning Torah study that many congregations offer today. Next, as Jews have become mobile, the close-knit family has disintegrated. Rather than make religious organizations more important because of the need to address loneliness and depression, ties to clergy and houses of worship have weakened. Consider how many people entrust their life cycle events to family and friends who sign up for male or the clergy for a day certification. My own theology has evolved through the centuries, through the half century, from complete uncertainty to a firmer, more grounded belief. Denise Levertov's poem, The Thread, expresses how I feel drawn closer to the Holy One, though not necessarily in a traditional sense. She writes, something is very gently, invisibly, silently pulling at me. A thread or a net of threads, finer than a cobweb and as elastic. I haven't tried the strength of it. No barbed hook pierced and tore me. Was it not long ago that this thread began to draw me? Or way back, was I born with its knot about my neck, a bridle? Not fear, but a stirring of wonder makes me catch my breath when I feel the tug of it, when I thought it had loosened itself and gone. I believe that we bring God into the world by mitzvot, the kind and generous acts that we perform in honest connections that have often unintended and unexplainable consequences. Martin Buber's philosophy resonates in me because Buber says that real meeting is in the I-thou relationship. 
which he defines as something that is momentary, that appears when you least expect it, provides a profound sense of the divine, the I-thou relationship can be found in the sacredness between a husband and wife, or two friends, or in a special relationship to something in the natural world. Everything else is an I-it. I have an I-it with this lectern or a chair and so forth. I'm using it. I-thou, however, is subjective and embracing of metaphors, feelings, affect, and emotion while I, it, is objective, the cognitive search for hard facts. I have felt the I-thou relationship in my marriage, my wedding, my relationship with my children, watching them being born. These are exquisite moments of I-thou, feeling touched not only by the miracle of new life, but by a divine moment frozen in time and sealed into memory. That is what I hope for tonight's celebrant. My daughter, for example, was born with eyes wide open, looking all around as if to say, ooh, what is this place? I find it in the joy of parenthood and those moments of intense bliss while watching them grow up, witnessing their achievements and being truly grateful for these gifts. To look backward and forward at the same time, at the same instant, to understand and to be sympathetic to our parents and our children in the same moment is an extraordinary vantage point and the privilege of standing at the crossroads of time, peering into the past, the present, and the future in the same instant contains the sacred. I will always be grateful and I thank God every day for the gift of my family. I have a profound sense in those moments of there being something deeper and more powerful than there is the rest of the time. These I-thou moments are extraordinary highs. Everything else is whirling around and it goes by so fast. But what remains is the intense sense of something so joyous, something so deep and so beautiful that it's lasting for years. I can conjure that up and I have for my whole life. Being a rabbi has enabled me to share both high and low moments with people who have let me into their lives, people who struggle to embrace faith that is comforting and sustaining. I was proud to begin my rabbinic career mindful of the model of a weary Moses who could no longer hold his arms aloft. Aaron and Hur supported him and he was uplifted. The words of the psalmist in Psalm 84 speak to me. Gam brachot yateh moreh Surely blessings enfold a teacher. And I have felt uplifted by colleagues and congregations I have served, the people I have counseled, the students I have taught. All of them have touched my life. Thank you all tonight for sharing this journey with me. Shabbat Shalom.